It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm Darla from Centos. Oh, thank goodness you're here. We have so much to do. I need fire extinguishers, right? We'll place them for you and be out for regular inspection. Great. And what about my new hires? We'll get them into uniforms and keep them looking sharp. What about this first aid cabinet? Fully stocked. It wasn't this morning. It is now. And so are the restrooms. Wow. Centos really seems to know what we need. You said it. Oh, I'm ready. Learn how Centos can help you get ready for the workday. Visit Centos.com. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Jason B. Hirshhorn. I cover the NFL and the Green Bay Packers for Sports on Earth and SB Nation. I'm filling in for Peter Bukowski, who is currently on his honeymoon in Italy and Greece, likely trying to show if it's not only Jay Cutler who can show off his lack of tan lines in a beach photo. We are one day removed from the Packers' 17-9 victory over the Seattle Seahawks, a crucial matchup in the NFC. These are obviously two of the top squads, two that could end up playing each other again later in the year when the game matters even more. For right now, though, let's talk about the game that just transpired. The Packers entered the game mostly healthy, but with one key concern they didn't necessarily know earlier in the week they were going to have. Right tackle Brian Balaga a Pro Bowl caliber player, was announced to be un- unavailable after playing, at least or participating in practice for some of the week. Uh, this came as a pretty big surprise. I think most of us were expecting him to play in the game. Um, he had had the injury back in mid-August, plenty of time to recover. He had not expressed any real concern about his availability. The coaching staff had not really expressed any concern, but in the end, he was left inactive. So in his place went Kyle Murphy. Here's who Kyle Murphy is. Second year offensive tackle out of Stanford, a guy who was highly touted coming out of high school, had a pretty good college career, but was a sixth round pick coming into the NFL. He basically didn't play as a rookie. I think he only had a handful of snaps, mostly as an extra tight end in certain heavy packages. So this was a guy who they went into this offseason, not necessarily expecting to play a big role. However, during training camp in the preseason, he actually outperformed Jason Spriggs, the team's second-round pick from a year ago, to become maybe not the team's de facto third tackle, but certainly the guy who's going to come in at right tackle for Balaga given his injury. So how did Kyle Murphy hold up? He gave up several sacks. This obviously was not a great outing for the young tackle. At the same time, though... He was playing against one of the best defensive lines in football, the Seattle Seahawks. Once they knew they were going to play Murphy, adjusted their scheme so that they would have Michael Bennett and at some time, some points uh, Cliff Averill coming right at him. That's going to be difficult for anybody, let alone someone making their first NFL start. Uh, so to say that he played well would be a misunderstanding, but he did hold up for the most part. The Packers did not have to alter their offense too dramatically for him. They were able to run a lot of play action, something that is difficult to do when you're not when you're not too convinced that your offensive line is going to be able to hold up. Overall, 
It was probably about as good as can be expected, considering everything that was going against Murphy. Maybe he will play better next week if he has to start again for Brian Balaga. That remains to be seen. It's possible, given that Balaga looked like he was going to play in Week 1, that he will be ready to go on Sunday Night Football when the Packers travel to Atlanta to take on the defending NFC champion Falcons. So, let's go into the game. One of the big early moments in this matchup was Aaron Rodgers' interception on the Packers' opening drive, at one point looked like it was going to be a pick six, however, a penalty brought that one back, though the interception still counted. On the same play, though, Jeremy Lane, the Seattle Seahawks cornerback, got into a fight with Packers receiver Devontae Adams, allegedly threw a punch at him, was ejected. It, it seems as though Lane did not actually throw a punch, but he had to leave the game either way, and this ended up being a very big moment for Seattle's defense. Despite it being one of the best units in the league, it actually is kind of shallow at cornerback, which is not something that people think of given how well Richard Sherman has played over the years, and he is still a force. Outside of him, however, it hasn't quite been the same. Jeremy Lane in particular hasn't quite been the same since their last trip to the Super Bowl when he left with significant injuries and a broken arm. He is a player who can start and is definitely playing a big role for them, and when he's out, it completely changes the way that secondary operates. Uh, they used Shaq Griffin, the rookie, on the boundary, and he actually did play fairly well, but it meant that a guy who was probably going to play a more limited role now is playing basically as a starter. That changed the way that the Packers were able to pass on them. Uh, Aaron Rodgers ended up having pretty decent numbers on the day, especially considering that the interception really brings down his passer rating. He finished 28 for 42 311 yards and a touchdown. So over, overall, a very solid day from an MVP caliber quarterback. Uh, with Lane there, doesn't necessarily mean that the Packers wouldn't have been successful passing through the air, but it would have been harder for them. Uh, when we look into those receivers, they targeted Randall Cobb more than anybody else. 13 total targets. He had nine receptions, 85 yards. Really was the, the player that they kind of sent that passing game through. Uh, third downs especially, Cobb was there. They ran a lot of combination routes to get him open and give him opportunities to gain yards after the catch. Uh, after him, Jordy Nelson had a very good game. Uh, a lot of his production came on one particular play during the third quarter. Packers, as they're wont to do, caught the Seattle Seahawks with 12 players on the field. Rodgers took advantage, saw Nelson streaming down the seam, was able to hit him for a touchdown, a 32-yarder. And this was actually a very big play for Nelson outside the fact that it scored. Uh, Nelson was able to actually get behind all-pro safety Earl Thomas. Uh, that's something that doesn't happen very frequently, regardless of who the receiver in question is. Uh, it's especially big for Nelson because he's coming off a year that was very productive, but where the limitations of his speed were kind of exploited a little bit. He didn't look like the same player he was in 2014, his last full season prior to his ACL tear. That's not the Nelson that showed up this week either, but he did look like he had a little more deep speed. The Packers used him more on the boundary than they were necessarily using him at the end of last season, although in the touchdown in question, he was coming from the slot. Either way, it looks like Nelson is entering the season as good as we've seen him in a long time, and that's obviously a big boon for this Packers offense. Speaking of which, they got a pretty decent day out of Ty, uh, Ty Montgomery, the running back, the converted wide receiver. Statistically, it wasn't great, 19 carries, 54 yards. However, 
Montgomery gave them an element late in the game, the ability to grind out that final drive and kill the clock. They really haven't had in a long time. Uh, Eddie Lacy had been there for them in the past, but probably not since 2014. Just hasn't been the same kind of player. As the Seattle Seahawks learned today, he was very unproductive. Montgomery, however, was able to get decent gains. He was able to keep the Packers' offense on the field. I mean, that final drive was a thing of beauty. It just killed Seattle's hope of coming back in this ballgame. And it's an omen of good things to come. If Ty Montgomery can be effective in a clutch situation like that against one of the best defenses in the league, the Packers can rely on him for a lot more against defenses that are just not going to be as good. I mean, there are other big and damaging defenses in the NFL. I I just don't think they're going to see one like Seattle's again until maybe the playoffs. So Montgomery also as a receiver, very effective. Uh, They used him a lot, not just coming out of the backfield, but actually lining him up as a receiver. As a former wideout, he definitely has those skills still. He's not an undisciplined route runner out there. He can still beat cornerbacks or linebackers, and it has been more the latter when he's out there. Finished with four catches, 39 yards. It's just another tool for this offense. And it really looks like the Packers passing game, when Rodgers is protected, is going to be as good as any in the league. So let's move now to the tight ends. This was a big story in the offseason that the Packers were able to add Martellus Bennett and Lance Kendricks. How did they perform? Bennett finished with a relatively quiet stat line of three receptions for 43 yards, but that really undercuts how effective he was. Uh, The Packers lined him up in a number of spots, on the boundary, in line, split out as almost a slot receiver. Uh, They used him a lot as a blocker. He he really came up with a couple of big clutch catches, especially on that Packers final drive when a 26-yard reception really sealed the deal for them. Uh, Bennett also had a penalty. Uh, on Rodgers' uh, third-down scramble late in the fourth quarter, he took a hit, a legal hit, from K.J. Wright, the Seattle Seahawks linebacker, and Bennett just decided that that hit was a dirty attempt and went after him, drew a 15-yard penalty. It didn't affect the first down. It affected the yardage. So ultimately, the penalty didn't hurt the Packers, but it's the kind of thing that you do worry about with Bennett. He is a very smart player, and at the same time, he's a very emotional player, and you have moments like that where he could hurt his team. It didn't in this instance, so the Packers are fortunate, but it's the kind of thing that they have to be at least a little worried about going forward. You never know when that penalty is going to turn a winnable situation into a loss. So now let's talk about the opponent, the Seattle Seahawks. They did not reach the end zone at all on Sunday, which is a pretty surprising thing. This is an offense that, especially down the stretch of 2016, was a very effective unit. Uh, They they just weren't able to get much going in the passing game. That offensive line continues to be a huge problem for them. Not having George Fant, their original starting left tackle, I mean, it it hurts them a lot, even though Fant himself is not a particularly great blocker. Uh, They weren't able to get much going in the run game either. Outside of a 29-yard run by Russell Wilson, and one 30-yard run late in the game by Chris Carson. And this just wasn't a very effective unit. Uh, C.J. Prosize finished with four carries for 11 yards. That's a 2.8 clip. Eddie Lacy got five carries, got three yards on them. Uh, in some cases, it wasn't his fault. He was facing defenders in the backfield. It's hard for any running back to be productive in that situation. But he also didn't really seem to have a lot of burst. Uh, he, he doesn't look like the Eddie Lacy that we saw in 2014 and 2013 when he was making Pro Bowls and All-Pro teams. Uh, that's one game. This probably speaks very well of the Packers' run defense and very little of the Seahawks' offensive line. And perhaps against uh, future opponents when maybe the Seahawks' offensive line has gelled 
they will have more production there. However, right now, that has to be a worry for them. They also have to be worried about Russell Wilson's health. I mean, he exited this game healthy as far as we know, but he took a lot of hits. Officially, three sacks, but he was under pressure pretty much the entire game. Finished with a 5.9 yards per attempt clip, and it, that's just not good enough. Russell Wilson is a much better quarterback than that. This is I don't even think this is really an indictment of him. He just had no time. Those receivers, for the most part, didn't have many opportunities to get open. There was just that much pressure that quickly on Wilson. So I think the Seahawks have a lot to worry about. They're not going to play tough opponents for the rest of their season. I mean, their schedule actually looks fairly favorable given the division that they play in. At the same time, even if the offensive line gels, an injury could make it even worse. I mean, Luke Jokel, who was not very productive on Sunday is probably their best offensive lineman right now. And if it's not him, it's Justin Britt. Both of those guys have missed time with injury in the past. That doesn't bode well for them. It's They're going to figure out some of these things. They're going to make adjustments if they have to. The offensive line is not going to improve. But at least on Sunday, it, it looked like a unit that was hopeless and is going to be an anchor for that team the entire season. Uh, looking at the defense, however, for Seattle... It looks pretty good, as good as ever was, especially that front four. Uh, it's, they've always had a lot of talent there, but this year, especially on passing downs, they might have the best defensive line in the league. From from end to tackle, they have Cliff Averill, they have Frank Clark, who if you don't know him, he finished last season with double-digit sacks. He's probably going to be even more effective this year. Uh, they move Michael Bennett inside a tackle on those downs, and they now have Sheldon Richardson a very effective athletic defensive tackle that they acquired late in the preseason from the Jets. He missed some time during this game with injury, but I believe he did come back. Uh, When that group is together, it can just destroy an offensive line. And at times the Packers struggled with them too, uh, especially on the right side with Kyle Murphy and Jari Evans, who overall played pretty well. But you can tell that his age is going to hinder him, you know, at, at points during any ball game, you know, Early in the game, he was holding up just fine. Late in the game, he wasn't giving up necessarily that much more pressure, but when he was catching the defensive lineman, it was further in the backfield. It seems like as the season progresses, that could become an issue, which is another reason why the Packers need Brian Balaga back. He just helps out with those problems. But moving along, let's look at the Packers as they head into their next week. They play the Atlanta Falcons. This is the defending NFC champion, a team that struggled a little bit in week one. Uh, They had a chance, so to speak, to lose on the final play of the game against the Chicago Bears. By no means a strong opponent, but they were able to hold on. They were able to sack Michael Lennon on the final play. Uh, This is a team that's going to be opening up their brand new stadium. Uh, Playing at home is definitely going to help in any context, but having the electricity of that crowd give them another boost. And this is a team that just plays better in controlled environments like this stadium. It's it's technically open air when they want it to be. It has a retractable roof. Uh, the Falcons said that it will be open, weather permitting, which is basically saying we still don't know. But assuming that the conditions are perfect or near perfect, which seems a fair assumption at this point, that's going to be a very, very fast offense and a very fast defense. One that probably has the Packers beat in terms of speed on both sides. So how are the Packers going to match up with them? Well, the run game helps. Ty Montgomery, assuming that he's healthy, he did leave the game briefly with an ankle injury, though he did come back in. That is going to help them negate some of those issues. The Packers did not run the ball particularly well against the Falcons last season. They also had problems along the offensive line with all the injuries they had at that point. Uh, The offensive line, assuming Balaga returns, will be healthy. That obviously aids them. And the receivers look 
a lot better than they did at the end of last year. Jordy Nelson technically played against the Falcons, but he was not himself. He had that rib injury, just not the same receiver. Right now, he looks as good as he's been in at least two years. That is going to make a difference. Devontae Adams being healthy with the ankle injury, that he, with not having that ankle injury he had last year, that is going to help. And they return uh, Geronimo Allison. He missed the first game of the season with a suspension. Now he's back. The Packers will have to make a corresponding roster move to bring him on board, but they're going to do it. He's their number four receiver. But more than that, he's a very reliable weapon that they can use in a number of ways. They tend to use him on the boundary as a split end, but they can also move him around as they did last year. And he looked very good during training camp in the preseason this year, an improved player, someone who's really going to help them create mismatches on offense. So the offense goes into this game about as well as you can hope if you're a Packers fan. Uh, The defense also looks like it's in pretty good shape. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, the defensive line looked dominant, in particular Mike Daniels. He had one of the best games of his career, admittedly against one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, but it still doesn't negate the fact that he had so much pressure, finished the game with one and a half sacks. He looks like the kind of player that can take advantage of this Falcons offensive line. It's a much better unit. It's actually a very strong unit, but Daniels is playing about as well as any interior pass rusher in the league not named Aaron Donald, who will suit up also week two, but that's another story. So the, the Packers look like they're in pretty good shape, but it is going to be a tough matchup. The Falcons have pretty much their, their full arsenal at their disposal. Uh, Matt Ryan is healthy. Those running backs, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, both enter the game healthy. And those receivers remain about as good as there are in the league. Uh, Julio Jones, at any given time, might be the best wide receiver in the league, full stop. Uh, they have pretty good secondary receivers in Mohamed Sanu and Taylor Gabriel. And they're getting more production out of the tight end position. Uh, This past week, Austin Hooper, the second-year tight end, had a very long, nice touchdown catch and run. Uh, Part of that was a broken coverage, but he knew to put himself in position for Matt Ryan to find him after the play broke down. He's starting to learn those nuances. It's something the Packers are going to have to worry about when they play them. As we knew going into the season, it's a very versatile offense. Nothing has changed thus far in the year. It's going to be a tough matchup. Uh, The Packers, as it stands, are actually underdogs, one-point underdogs. Uh, That could change as the week progresses, but this is basically a pick, I'm considering that this game is played in Atlanta. Uh, It's going to be the marquee game of the weekend. I mean, this is a rematch of last year's NFC title game that tends to make for a really good game. Once again, I'm Jason B. Hirshhorn, your fill-in host for Peter Bukowski. This is the Locked On Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for listening. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. 
Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite college team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.